UMGoBlue.com. By fans, for fans. Since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with... Andy Anderson. And tonight we have a very special guest, Adam Schnepp from MGoBlog. Adam, hello. Hi, thanks for having me on. Hello, Adam, could you talk about what you cover over there? Sure. So at MGO Blog, I am sort of the media event guy as far as football is concerned. So I attend all the press conferences, and I'm able to do some extra interviewing on the side here and there. And then I also cover hockey, um, but I do more of an analysis piece, and that runs once a week. Excellent. Well, so what we wanted to do on this podcast is that, um, you know, you guys tune in to hear me and Andy uh, on occasion for, for quite a while now. And uh, we're starting to bring in some of our, our other people that we run into who are really insightful and, and I think would really add to the conversation. So that's why we've invited Adam. And uh, I think we can all agree we have some really good conversations up in the press box, um, things that don't always make it into print. Or, or online, and this is just an opportunity to kind of to have that kind of interaction. So, um, Adam, first things first, the, the news of the day here, uh, we had Tom Brady, former Michigan quarterback, I, I hope everyone knows that, um, heading to yet another Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, as someone who's a little younger, um, you know, covering the team, you know, what do you think that means to – Recruits and some of the younger players. Um, I know, like Andy and I have have known of Tom Brady for a really long time, and I even remember talking to him when he was a player here. But as kind of a bridge to the to the younger generation, and specifically recruiting and things, you know, how much of an impact do you think a performance like tonight has? I think it's very important. Um, you know, you see pictures of him around the building still, and like you were mentioning, it's sort of a bridge back to the car era. Um, and so to have him still performing and still performing at this level, just any time he does that, they're going to mention Michigan, and it's going to be sort of a seed that's replanted in a younger recruit's mind. So it's always relevant and it's always fresh. Um it's pretty amazing, really, what he's able to do. Like you said, you know, you remember covering him here. For me, I personally remember him a little bit at Michigan, um, but my awareness of him, of course, took off with the Patriots. So every year you're just reminded how incredible he is and how incredible it was that he split time with Drew Henson. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know he used to split time with lots of Drews. It was Drew Henson here and Drew Bledsoe up at the Patriots. So That's um, yeah. I always used to joke that I always used to joke that Drew Henson and Drew Bledsoe would get together and talk about how they were both better than Tom, but but he just beat them both out. <laughs> you know, he was rather slow developing at the University of Michigan. The system didn't fit him very well for most of his career there, and he really only got started when they cut him loose in the second half of that very close Orange Bowl with Alabama, which because of an errant field goal. Michigan managed to win, but uh, he became the comeback kid there, and he's continued and he continued to miss last game. With a, didn't he have a, a late drive that uh, produced the winning points? Oh, he all, that seems to be his signature. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you bet. 
it's a good signature to have, isn't it? Yeah, and, and one of the things about, you know, you have a, a, a professional with the stature of Brady. Um, you know, he was on the field, you know, in the last year or so playing catch with, with uh, Harbaugh during his uh, suspension when he had a couple weeks off from the NFL. But it's interesting because you have Michigan affiliated with the Jordan brand, which is, is huge. I, I was at the Nike outlet uh, this this past weekend, and it's amazing to see all the Jordan memorabilia and, and paraphernalia branded all over the place. And it dawned on me that, you know, for a lot of younger uh, people, they probably might not even remember Jordan as a player. He's more of a brand than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have Tom Brady who, um, you know, you know, I had the opportunity to talk to J.T. Rogan uh, a week or so ago, and he mentioned to me that he never remembered Harbaugh, or he didn't know Harbaugh as a Michigan quarterback. He remembered him as an NFL quarterback. And, again, it's, it's the discrepancy in age. Um, so it's interesting to see, um, you know, how that helps. And, again, hopefully – Hopefully it'll mean good things for uh, for Michigan and recruiting that we can get back to being the cradle of quarterbacks, um, and, and that leads us into our next subject. Um, the, the 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 boy, I can't even think of a polite word. The fest we have at quarterback uh, leads segues right into that. So, um, guys, uh, you know, let me give you the question. You know, put it out there. Would you ever have imagined that after the third year of Harbaugh's tenure that we would be at such a precarious uh, state uh, in the quarterback position? I mean, could you have ima- would you have imagined that three years ago when he announced that we would kind of be at this place at the position? Um, Adam, what do you think? No, but it has very little to do with the development of Brandon Peters or Dylan McCaffrey and everything to do with Wilton State. I think after 2016 and seeing what Wilton did that year, I thought, of course, that he would be the starter going into 2017, and then, you know, he still has that year of eligibility. It looked to me after 2016 like you've got a guy who's going to start for another couple of years, and you're going to have a ton of experience under his belt. Um, to go through that 2016 schedule and have, you know, the road game at MSU and the road game at OSU and just to have the experience of close losses and to be able to grow from that. I thought 2017 was going to be a banner year for him and then you might have an NFL decision to make and that would be what would affect 2018. But to be here now, um, definitely would not have predicted that at the beginning of the year. You do feel, though, that the future is looking brighter with the cadre that they have now and the proposed transfer that they're getting in, don't you? Absolutely. Do you guys? Yes, absolutely. And I think a lot depends on the NCAA, whether or not they're going to approve approve this uh, transfer. And that's one of the things, you know, kind of to bleed into. You know, one of the things that, that... I've noticed, and I'm wondering if you guys have seen it as well, Harbaugh's first season and a half on the sideline, he was very animated. Um, He was not shy in expressing his opinion to the referees. And now we head into this year, Michigan, there's a huge discrepancy in the number of penalties called, uh, you know, holding penalties called on our defense. 
Um, you know, opponents seem to have a, a free reign in, in stopping our defenders any way that they can. Um, well, maybe maybe ten thousand dollars has changed his attitude toward the rest. He decided he had to cool it a little bit. I have heard that, and this is a rumor from it is a rumor from a credible source, however, that he has a hip problem, and that hip has bothered him all year long. And he does not care to have an operation on the hip, but uh, wants to get it taken care of by physical therapy. And perhaps maybe some of his energy was absorbed by uh, being uh, a little wounded all all season. That's sort of, like I said, it's a rumor. They don't confirm it yet, but but I heard it from a decent source. Yeah, I know he injured himself in the offseason. That seems plausible. Well, he does seem to be going all over the place, climbing trees and such, so things could happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I have yeah, to say, I hope, I hope that he made a conscious decision to not get over the refs. Because, um, again, looking over the three-year period here, you know, listen, we can complain about the referees all we want. Um, I think they're bad. I think that the state of Big Ten officiating is, is poor. And yet, chewing on refs uh, is not going to help you, I mean, in the long run. Um, you know, going back to... Well, well just, just, uh, Phil, just look at Bo. Bo did that all the time. He threw, he got tired, uh, wound up in the wires of his headset once and almost fell over and looked pretty foolish doing it. Uh, he complained about it all the time, and he got a lot of bad calls. And so uh, that kind of behavior may be intimidating. I think more in basketball than it is in football. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it's a, a good policy over the long run, but there are times, man, when they they got to get going and put on the afterburners and get after them. So it's a wonderful thing, but as, as least as possible, it would seem to me. Mm -hmm. One more thing is that uh, the NCAA instituted a new rule last season that coaches can get a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. And I almost wonder if, you know, <laughs> looking at the state of the offense, 15 yards is quite a bit to overcome. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking that that probably was a conscious decision to change sideline behavior especially because if you get two of them, you can get ejected from the game. Mm -hmm. And that would have been awfully difficult for them to handle. So with a young team, um, you have to think that may have been in the back of Harbaugh's mind. Well, you can't think of this football team in the season coming up. You don't think of the offensive line. And it appears that Gretno is still the uh, offensive coordinator there. Uh, and Peck Hamilton is still there. So uh, it ought to be an interesting year. Adam, how do you think the, the offensive line is going to develop this year? Do you think this is going to be a breakthrough year for us? I think for the interior line it will be. <laughs> and yeah, for the back line, I just don't another, know. Yeah. I just don't yeah. know. I, I, I think it's possible, but... You know, I just saw that there's a left tackle from Rice who's going to take an official visit coming up here, and so obviously they're looking to add depth there. Um, hopefully Grant Newsom's able to come back. Obviously there's a lot of 
especially in that room, but who knows what it's going to be like when he gets back on the field. Um, and then right tackle, I think, is fairly unsettled as well. So I think you're looking at a good interior battery there with, uh, I assume, Ruiz at center, and then Bredesen at left guard and Unwanyu at right guard, but uh, who knows about the outside. What do you guys think? Well, I think it had better be a breakout year. I mean, we, we really we really need it to be. Um, and it's, and, you know, and, and I guess the thing I'd like to talk about in this is, okay, looking at the, the arc of Michigan's decline, um, you know, under Rodriguez, under Hoke, and hopefully our resurgence here, problems on the offensive line have been a consistent story. So I'm wondering, you know, why is that? You know, why do we seem to be... You know, it seemed like we had the same problem at the end of the Hoke era. We were waiting for, you know, the offensive line to kind of bubble out. And, you know, looking at it over a a five- or six-year period, or even a ten-year period, it kind of worries me that we're still having this conversation. (laughs) Um, You know, is there any consistent theme that you can see? That's a well-founded worry if you want to win football games. Because that's the weak point in this football team, and it's going to be perhaps the weak point next year. Uh, they've, they've struggled. I, I give some credence to the fact that, that they really haven't had an offensive line identity. They really didn't know whether they wanted to be power and they're going to run the inside zone. The styles have changed. There have been a fluctuation of people there. Uh, and it never seems to improve. They change the people, but don't change the results. And that is a concerning issue. I think the style change is huge. Um, the, the amount of zone that they were running early in the year compared to what they were running at the end of the year says it all, I think. But also, you know, Grant Newton being injured was huge. If he's not injured and he plays at left tackle last year, I assume they can call the center. You're looking at a pretty different line. Um, but with him being out all year, uh, with that really being a one-and-a-half-year injury, that made things very difficult, um, especially with the offensive line traditionally taking longer for guys to develop. You know, there seem to be some guys in the pipeline, guys like Filiaga, Stuver, um, Spinellis, but I think you're, you'll see a step forward from them next year. It just takes a while, unfortunately, and there was that that kind of dearth of guys with the Hope class that ended up (laughs) leaving one way or another and leaving a gap there on the offensive line in recruiting. Well, that was felt for four years, but that should be gone now, huh? Yeah. Well, again, let's hope. Again, the thing that I, I struggle with is, you know, you're talking about how we hoped that Spate was going to be here for a couple years. You know, what do you think about Spate? deciding to leave? Well, I guess I think that it's it's pretty interesting, actually. I think he saw what Peters did and, and assumed that that was his team and that if he wanted one year where he wasn't going to be locked in a quarterback battle with somebody, he needed to transfer. I think that he probably 
just knowing him a little bit, would assume that he could win that battle, but then he's been in one every single year that he's been here. And I think he was looking to go somewhere and have a huge grad transfer year to boost his pro stock. Uh, that's just my assumption, though. You know, I go round and round on it because on one hand, you know, I think, well, like as you said, you know, he didn't want to be in a quarterback battle. Um, and yet, from what we saw at the quarterback position, um, you know, a lot of people were griping about Spate earlier in the season, you know, wondering, you know, why Peter wasn't playing, wondering why O'Corn wasn't playing. And after seeing both of them play, I think that I, I really wish that Spate was back. So mm-hmm. it, it's interesting. It, it, it's I was surprised by it. Um, and again, I, he, Spate doesn't strike me as somebody who shies away from competition. Um, but, uh, you know, and again, and having talked to him and, and kind of observed the situation, I think maybe he had just had enough. Um, as far as, like you said, wanted to set himself up for the best possible opportunity to be a pro. And, and um, you know... I've long thought being a quarterback here, and this kind of goes back to the conversation we had with Brady. You know, even Brady wasn't the the definite starter here. He was in a a dogfight with with Drew Henson. Um, so I've always wondered when quarterbacks end here, um, what they think. You know, and, and you kind of see them go through the mill of you know the criticism, taking the beating on field, and I just wonder if Spate kind of just um, kind of had a belly fall. Um, and, and yeah, he had a serious, serious injury. That injury to his back is nothing to uh, laugh at, and maybe he didn't want the same kind of protection. they they got to get a Lloyds of London policy if they're going to have that porous uh, mm-hmm. offensive line pass protection and uh, blocking up there. That's got to end. They've got to do something about that. It's a shame. And I have to say that Spade acquitted himself well off the field at all times. He was always uh, articulate and cooperative in interviews. I think he liked being the quarterback at the University of Michigan, but I don't think he liked running for his life all the time. Mm-hmm. I think that's certainly part of it. I think it's that. And, uh, you know, they brought in some new offensive coaches last year, and I'm not sure how well they all meshed. They didn't seem, in in my opinion, they didn't mesh. And, yeah, that's and what I've heard as well. <laughs> it's a related, a related uh, offensive subject. It's the wide receivers never had a dedicated coach last year. And this leads into the other thing that we thought we might talk about, I guess, mm-hmm. is uh, now they've got Enos and old Michigan Stater, all-time Michigan Stater, I remember him when he played quarterback at Michigan State. That is going to be, among other things, we don't know how much, but he's going to be a dedicated receivers coach instead of having a student manager. And I thought the receiver core next to the offensive line was the most poorly developed for the season. Bad injuries, I know that Mike got hurt and so forth. But they developed slowly. Their patterns were not understandable sometimes. You often had receivers that were too close together. I never thought that was a good thing. So I'm looking, and at, at the first of the season, I was definitely wrong when I predicted that would be the, the best 
position group on the team because it didn't turn out that way. But on the other hand, the defensive backs really developed. Yeah, well, well, they got a, well, they had a lot of practice, Andy. They kind of had to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, as far, as far as the receivers are concerned, I think there's still a ton of talent in that group. Um, it's well, oh, I agree with you 100. percent Sure, and, and I agree with you that it seems like you know they, they develop slowly. And young receivers usually do. Freshman receivers don't usually come in and have an incredible year. They usually put up you know, three to four hundred yards and, and have a few dozen catches, and that's a good year for a freshman receiver. So I think there's a lot to look forward to in terms of their development. But I was watching a video this week of uh, Adam Thielen from the Vikings, uh, and it was just about his route running and the different things he does to create space for himself. And I was thinking, you know, this is what these guys are going to need to do eventually. And what I think they'll be able to over time, but... To be able to run routes with incredible precision, um, I think, is very difficult for a young guy to do, especially when you're also wearing a new system at the same time. So I, I look for all those guys to take a big step forward this season. Me too. DPJ uh, looked pretty good this year. And, uh, well, he, he made a few mistakes. He made some darn nice plays, too. So, and uh, we're... Talking about scoring points here, what, what about special teams? What, what did you think of the special teams for sure? So I really like Peoples-Jones as a punt returner. I think he has very high upside. I think he makes one too many moves every so often, and it loses him a few yards here and there. But as with any freshman, he's learning on the fly. And as a punt returner, you're seeing things that you can't simulate in practice. So when a ball is coming off of a punter's foot funny, they're tracking that, and sometimes he made mistakes with bounces. That's where you really saw it. And I think that will only get better as they're able to um, figure out a way to, to coach that up. Uh, kickoff coverage was excellent. No complaints, no problems there. Punting was not so excellent, and the concerning thing to me is that it never really got better. And uh, I do a post to MGO blog about special teams during the season, and so I chart these things from the press box, and when I'm looking at the in-air yardage, it was usually something like a bad punt, and then another bad punt, and then a pretty good one, and then bad, bad, pretty good, and then more bad. And, and with that pattern never changing itself, you're wondering when so you're going to get two good ones in a row, if you could even get that that field position would help that team immensely. Um, and then the field goal kicking was great to start the year. Uh, dropped off a little bit. Nordine went through that slump, then seemed to sort of work himself out of it. So uh, we'll see what happens next year. I don't know. What, what do you guys think about that? You know, I think uh, the, we talked a lot about the, the absence of Jabril Peppers on defense. And if you told me before the season started that we pretty much would have very little drop-off on defense from Jabril, um, I mean, I remember, matter of fact, I remember telling Andy on one of these, you know, if, if you think you lose the players, uh, uh, the caliber that we lost, and you expect the defense to be just as good, 
I think that's some wishful thinking. Well, the defense, you know, maintained playing at a really high level. Where we missed Jabril was on the punt returns. And, you know, you went from last year where it was, you know, you were waiting for a highlight reel every time we touched the ball, and he always caught the ball. I mean, it was always something good or something great. You know, he, he was remarkably consistent. So um, the, the punt return game worries me. I think uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones has the potential. Um, you know, there's an instinct you need when you're doing that. You need to... It's not so much shake and bake. It's it's you got to make that first guy miss, and you got to just you know uh, light the fire, hit the rockets, and go. And you know, Adam, you mentioned that that he might cut a little too much, and, and I agree with that. Um, the punting, you know, sarcastically, boy, they got enough practice, and it was still inconsistent as all get out. Um, and that did this team no you know no favors. Um, Nordine field goal kicking, uh, boy, he, he, he started out great and um, it was real sporadic there. And, th- and then, you know, you had that little, that little stun at the ball game, uh, the little crotch grab. And, uh, you know, you need to not be doing that. You know, you need to make your kicks. <laughs> you need to make your kicks and, and not be noticed like that. So I- I'm yep. sure... One thing about those kicks is that that is a unit that's doing that. Snap has to be good, and the hold has to be good, and the timing has to be great. And so I don't know how much that played a part in Nordine's misses, whether it was just him striking the ball wrong with a good set, a good snap, or whether the team, the, the, the kick team, messed it up some. It wasn't obvious to me, but I'm not an expert at that. Maybe it was obvious to you guys. I was wondering the same thing, Andy. I couldn't see any blatantly botched snaps or holds, but uh, I was wondering the exact same thing, knowing that you've got to have all three good for it to go through the uprights. Uh, It seemed to me more like mechanical things for Nordine. Yeah, yeah, okay. I asked Harbaugh about it a couple times, but uh, he didn't really want to get into it. (laughs) Wait a minute, Adam. Are you saying that that Coach Harbaugh didn't, like, bare his soul to you and and tell you exactly what was wrong? That that seems crazy. One time, one time I got a pretty good answer, and the other time it went very poorly. Um, No soul bearing there. You know, keep asking that. You'll you'll be up in the fourth row. <laughs> yeah, see, that's one thing the listeners probably don't know. We're recreating row two, seats thirty through thirty-two here in the press box. <laughs> you know, but like you said, now I will be in row four, and I will come and visit at halftime. You know, he'll yeah, okay. Well, and it, it is funny. I mean, we can we all share that experience of. You know, I think people will wonder why you don't ask specific questions. And when you've, when you've heard the same question get asked four or five times and, and you see the stare of death or the eye roll of death or uh, the thousand-yard stare that, uh, that Harbaugh launches, um, it, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny to, to see... <laughs> It's funny to, you know, it's the kind of thing that really doesn't get caught on video, but, but when he's looking at you, it's it's definitely a different kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the, yeah, that's an excellent point. They, 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 
we use solicit- their visual signals. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. They not solicit criticism. I <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> it's not encouraged. I mean, okay, let's be clear here. The question to not ask, okay, number one question, you know, if we were doing the, the family feud here, it would be number one question not to ask Jim Harbaugh. Coach, is there any chance you're going to the NFL? Because that is just, <laughs> right. you, you don't even get N out. And, and mm-hmm. he just locks in with this icy, cold, withering stare. Um, and, you know, Somebody, one of the national guys actually asked it at the uh, Outback Bowl. And, I mean, Harbaugh just locked, I mean, you could just see him just, just stiffen up. And, and uh, a greater chill uh, than, than anything bad thing that happened in the game descended on the room just with that question. So it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, there's definitely things you, you kind of learn not to ask because, you, you know, you don't want to be, uh, you know, you don't want to be frozen out. Um, so you, you don't you don't want to offer to critique his play calling. I don't think that would be received with with passion. Do you? Uh, no. I think the most important thing in the press conference is that you can usually get the temperature of the room in the first three questions or so. And you know whether you should ask that question that you think might push a little bit or whether you should save it for next Monday. You know, as long as it's something you can save. Now, what is interesting is sometimes Harbaugh will surprise you. And and Mm -hmm. I have not been able to find any rhyme or reason for when he'll open up. But, but, But he'll go, I mean, you know, I think back specifically to the game, to the press conference after Purdue, after the spade injury. He was wound up, and he was going. Yeah. And, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he kind of made a statement, and he stopped, and then he kept going. And, I mean, it was very clear that, that he was there with a message. Um, and, and what was interesting is that, um, you know, he, he was, I mean, he was, he was adamant. I mean, very, very upset about that. Um, and I don't think it mattered what happened in the game. I think he, he was genuinely upset at the facilities. Um, genuinely upset that that it possibly put one of his players in peril. Um, I, I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think it had anything to do with the performance of the team. I think he was he was genuinely upset. I think you're right. So I, I, yeah, here's here's the larger question to discuss. Okay, and, and okay, so when the season started, I predicted ten and two. All right. And I said, yeah, but won't be the, which two would it be? Meaning that if you go 10-2 and two and lose to Ohio State and Michigan State, that's really not a, a successful year, okay, under Michigan terms. You know, I look at this season and I go, okay, the Michigan State game could have flipped, okay, you know, we had that crazy weather. And even if you flip one other game, okay, if Michigan escapes the season with two losses or three losses, when I watch Alabama, it still seems like we're a million miles away from that team. So the question I put to you guys is, how far do you think Michigan is from genuinely competing for a national championship after what you've seen over the last three years? Go ahead, Adam. Okay, well, I agree that it did seem like they were pretty far away watching Alabama. But since then, I've been thinking about that. And to play devil's advocate a little bit, you know, if 
if Michigan's defense plays the way that they did last year, and I expect them to again this year, all you need is a serviceable offense to be a playoff threat, I think. If you have a decent to good offense, you are in good shape because Michigan's defense was lights out all year, and the only time we really saw any breakdowns from them was when they'd been on the field most of the game. Um, I think... I think that with Alabama, they switched quarterbacks at halftime of the national title game. So, you know, <laughs> they weren't exactly pleased with their offense either. So maybe I'm a little bit blinded by that fact. But I think with a defense like Michigan has, and I think it usually starts with defense, you know, they could be a playoff threat very soon. And be in the playoff, I should be clear. They could be in the playoff. Uh, one to two years. Well, Adam, here's my concern, and, and listen, I, I'm not. You don't need to be devil's advocate. I'm looking for hope. <laughs> I, I, I want to believe. You know, the, the issue that I have is, you know, I think back to Ohio State's last national championship year, and they essentially were down to their third string quarterback in the playoffs with, and and they won. And I see Alabama switching quarterbacks and. You're right. They went from the quarterback that got them there to another quarterback who, who did great. Um, and so the depth, the, the development of talent and the depth of talent is the thing that I'm, I'm a little, I'm, I'm wrinkling my nose at a little bit. Um, I, the defense is amazing. And, and I, I will tell you, I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I really questioned how the defense could be better than last year's defense, and boy, it, it was it was sure good. And Don it'll Brown, be it'll be more, more experience coming up, and they don't lose many. And, and Don so, Brown's got something rolling. Um, how do we get, you know? And again, I, I, it comes back to what we were saying. Well, the offensive line is shaky, and well, we're hoping that this transfer quarterback comes in, and uh, it, 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 it's just not what I expected, and not what I hoped for. So, um, you know, I keep thinking that, that, you know, you know, buts and ifs that, you know, last season, um, you know, the, the season where Michigan was undefeated for most of it, really a lot of things were lining up for us to, to win, to at least make the Big Ten championship game and, and possibly make the playoffs. Um, that's, that's the key for next year is when they get to that game, we can start talking about national championships and that sort of thing. But they've never been. Michigan has never been to one of those championship Big Ten football games. Uh, never. And uh, it's time that they got in one and won it. And that seems to me to be the, the big realizable goal. That for for next year, and then we begin to think about national championship in the playoffs when they successfully get out of that with a win. Well, and, and you know we're on the the next increment. Okay, it's been seven years since we beat Ohio State, fourteen years since we won a Big Ten championship, and twenty one since we won a national championship. And all those numbers aren't on Harbaugh, but the last three are. And I just yes. I, I wonder how far away we are from from rolling any of those increments over. Um, you know, again. It's, well, I'm I'm going to watch the Kool Aid this year. It's easy. It's hard. It's really hard to know how they're doing in fall camp, and we, we rely on a certain few people to tell you that. 
all the reporters do. They aren't, most of them aren't seeing the practices or practices that mean anything. So you gotta, you gotta uh, rely on some Kool-Aid in there. But I think that he understands, Coach Harbaugh understands and the situation better than we do. And that they're gonna go all out and things are going to improve. This ought to be a year that he proves something. If he can't do it in four years, I don't know if he can do it in five or six or seven. So he's got to he's got to he's got to make a move this year. All the cards are on the table. I think he knows that, and I think he will. I think the man has talent. I think he's dedicated to it, and uh, he's a good coach. And they get a little bit of luck and don't have injuries at key places all the time. Uh, Maybe they can work their way and fight their way into that championship game with a victory over Michigan State and a victory over Ohio State and then a victory over uh, a contender like uh, Wisconsin from the West. I'm looking forward to the season. I think we're going to be happier after this next season than we were after the past season. Well, I hope so because I was pretty miserable at the Outback Bowl. So, <laughs> yeah, that was awful. Yeah, you know, no, yeah. no amount of stinks from the Outback uh, was making me happy at that point. Um, so we started talking about you know the great thing that happened uh, you know with with Tom Brady today. Um, I think we'd be remiss in at least not briefly discussing um, you know the situation that, that's happening that's unfolding at Michigan State and you know I'll say that what shocks me in this you know apart from the personal you know damage and, and just just the horrible things that, that happened uh, under the watch of the US Olympic Committee and, and the Michigan State Athletic Department what surprises me is so you have a, a conference where you had a Big Ten member Penn State have a horrific scandal a couple years ago. And you think that everyone would be on watch for anything that just that even remotely reminded you of that. And when we, we read what happened at Michigan State of, of how they investigated but really didn't investigate and the numerous complaints that came in that weren't followed up, I'm really surprised that, that administrators um, and, and Again, the Michigan State leadership um, basically dropped the ball. Um, so, Andy, I know you live up in East Lansing. How is it being covered up there? Well, it's getting uh, uh, some surprising play around here. Some of the local radio, radio stations up here are blasting Michigan State. And actually, and I'm surprised at this, doing quite a fair job in pointing out what they have done wrong. Michigan State has has had a long history, in my opinion, having been a long resident, long time resident up here. Uh, they have uh, an ostrich mandate that they stick their head in the sand and uh, don't talk. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised that they haven't had a number of football players where things have been covered up very successfully uh, here. Uh, the, the thing that, that breaks your heart about 
what's happened here is all these young people, young ladies that have been involved, 120 or whatever it is, and that are um, telling their stories. And when children are abused, the abuse sticks with them for a long, long time because usually a heavy dose of guilt goes with that and they don't get over it and it can infect affect infect uh, lives and futures and it's and I'm very sorry to see that sports Olympic sports whom I respected that Michigan State sports whom I respected uh, have all fallen to the level that they have and um, I think that the civil trials are going to give us answers. People are going to have subpoena power, and they're going to be able to get the truth out of people. I found that when I was working, that if I swore people in, lawyers, if I swore lawyers in, then I had a tendency to get more honest answers for them, more provably honest, something with a proven relationship to the truth, if not the whole truth. So. I think that the answers will be out there whether or not Michigan State is trying to hide them or not. The chips are going to fall where they may, and uh, this is too big to... This this bomb was too big to control the burst. Yeah, the chips will certainly fall where they may. I think, just in my trying to keep up with this through Twitter, uh, the victim statements were going on, I was pleasantly surprised that this, as far as the Michigan State people that I follow on Twitter, the fans and the media members, uh, they seem to cover this incredibly fairly, and they all, as far as I saw, were fairly unanimous in their criticism of Michigan State's leadership right now, especially the president. And that's just the leadership of Michigan State just seemed to not understand at all what they were dealing with and just dropped the ball over and over again here. And it's it's horrible to see with this having well, they were, so many they were people's trying, lives. Trying to do what they have been successful in years past, past mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. doing on a smaller scale. But this time the bomb burst is too big. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, the, the thing that, that shocks me is that we've seen this play out at Penn State and there, okay, there is a a playbook for dealing with this. You know, you 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 do everything you can to work with the victims. You be contrite. You do these things. And, and the way that it played out last week with the leadership not being in the courtroom, and then being in the courtroom the next day, and then you know, uh, oh, can you come the next day? No, I'm busy. It, it's it's just it it seems like it's being fumbled. Um, but again, as you said, Andy, it's it'll be resolved by the courts. Um, I saw a recent article that estimated that Penn State, uh, the, the the Jerry Sandusky um, scandal, cost Penn has cost Penn State up to this point nearly a quarter of a billion dollars, um, and that that Michigan State has put aside ten million dollars. So um, we will see how this, you know, and as taxpayers, we are. We'll all be impacted by this. Um, and, and again, the important thing is that the victims are taken care of and that safeguards are put in place to keep this from ever happening again. Um, you know, anywhere, you know, any university, you know, in Michigan or, or, or frankly across the country. You hope that the lesson is learned that, 
you need to have more oversight over over people um, who are who are willing to hurt or looking to hurt you know young athletes. So I think that's definitely one of the things that will come out of this is that you have to find ways for different departments to communicate with each other or different organizations to communicate with each other. So you know you have. USA Gymnastics investigating this guy, you have the DO school investigating him, and you have maybe one thing that gets to the president's desk, but there are all these other opportunities for this to be communicated to his employer um, or for his employer to do something, and, and hopefully in the future they find ways to prevent this from ever happening again. It will happen again. There will always be psychopaths out there that are bent along those lines. But what what I think has to be prevented is they have to. This one went for twenty years, and was never stopped, and that is mind-boggling. So you, this sort of crap has will ha, will keep happening because it's part of the nature of mankind. But it needs to be nipped in the bud, and rules have to be in there. Go on for twenty years. Unbelievable. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. I want to thank our special guest, Adam Stepp. I want to thank Andy Anderson. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.